0: All right, let's herd this cattle on back to the pen. Hey, that's a lot more movement than we usually get on the first try. I will. Next week, I'll have a cattle call. Thanks for that suggestion. Hey, before we get started in this series, I want to tell you two things. Uh, first thing is this, uh, Rainer family, do you mind standing up for me? Oh. I'm going to tell you, um, this, uh, this week, I mean, it's really bittersweet for me because um, this family right here... Uh, has been such a blessing to me personally and to my family personally, uh, that even before I t- would talk about their contributions to the church and to the kingdom of God here in Greensboro and the extended area, um, just the blessing they've been to my family has been pretty significant. And this is their last Sunday with us. Um, Greg somehow got in mind to take a, a teaching position at Liberty. Um, he states that God is confirming it, um, uh, despite what I, I tell him otherwise, But uh, um, and despite all the horrible reference letters I wrote to try to get them to back off of him, uh, they still hired him, and so, so they are heading up, and I think some of you knew that the closing was actually pushed back a while, well, they just got good news that the closing's gonna happen Wednesday, and so, uh, they're able to go ahead and move into their new home, and so we're, that's a blessing for them, so, um, I'm gonna need you all to drive up to Lynchburg next week, right, Wednesday. But this afternoon, right after church, uh, I've just reserved a big room up at Rio Grande, and uh, it's just down the road. If you don't know where it is, ask a couple people. They'll know where it is. Um, And we would love if you would, even if you're not quite sure you even know this family, if you would uh, just join us uh, over at Rio Grande just to celebrate this family. Um, it's, it's a family that's so plugged into the church and in so many different ways has, has been a part of what God is doing here. And so we're sad to see them go, but we're pretty excited about what's going on uh, uh, up there. And I, I'm pretty excited that, I, you know, i got a place to stay in Lynchburg now. So when I come up, that's going to be good as well. So um, would you just thank them for their service? and yeah. How could you leave that? <laughs> I want to show you a picture up here. Um, last weekend, I, I appreciate you letting me be away in Kentucky for a weekend. We had a great family adventure that weekend. This is Ruth. Ruth is in her mid-90s. Uh, oh, she's 99? She's 99. Um, can I just tell you that every Sunday, right now, probably somewhere in this time frame, Ruth prays for you guys. She prays for this church. She prays for for my family, for me as a pastor, and she prays for you as a congregation, is what she does. In fact, at this point in her life, she's still pretty active and she's really sharp. Uh, but she knows her key role is praying for people. She just spends her day getting up and praying. And so, I just want you to know that uh, what you're doing in ministry, what we're trying to do to reach people for Jesus Christ, has this this prayer cover on it. It doesn't mean you don't need to be praying. But it means somebody who is six and a half hours away, who really doesn't know you, even if I put a picture of you up, um, is praying for you nonetheless. And I just thought it'd be, be neat for you to know that and hear that this morning. And, uh, and that's, uh, that's Ruth. So I wanted to let you know that. Uh, we had a good time visiting with her as well. She was a lifelong missionary. And so uh, the Lord has a great, great stories he's given her to share. So for the past three weeks, we have been looking at this book of Jonah And we talked about Jonah as a book that is divided into four chapters, so it's been easy to walk through a chapter a week and process through the, the journey of Jonah. Now if you remember back in your Sunday school days, some of you, you remember Jonah, he was the guy that got swallowed up by the fish, and that's about what you remember. We've wanted to set the context of the whole story and let you understand, like, what happened? How did he even get in the water in the first place? What was going on? And so uh, before we dive into chapter 4, I just want to kind of recap for those who maybe uh, haven't caught up on the series. Now, all of them are always available at at our website, thewindoverhills.org. So I would encourage you, if this is like your first sermon in this series, just go back and catch up, and uh, some of the context will make even more sense to you. So at chapter 1, we saw that, that God came to Jonah, and he says to him, look, I've got a message for you. I want you to go and proclaim to the city of Nineveh, the wealthiest, most, most prominent city of the day. I want you to go and proclaim to them my name because I'm going to destroy that city due to their wickedness, due just to their sin, their evil, their violence. But I want you to go and preach to them and proclaim to them who I am to give them an opportunity to repent. And remember, we talked about what repenting was. It's far more than just saying, hey, I'm, I'm sorry, my bad it's turning around. It's saying, I walk away from that. I leave that in my past. And that's what he was called to do. So what does Jonah do? He says, no way. I'm out of here. And we find that he gets on a boat headed in the complete opposite direction of Nineveh, trying to escape the calling of God in his life. You ever tried to do that? Escape the calling of God in your life? Well, for Jonah, it didn't end up, up so well. After a series of events, we walk through where we find he's thrown overboard. He's in the sea. And when, we, when he's drowning at the bottom of the sea, he's running away from God still. We find that God brings provision. Miraculously, at the end of chapter 1, he's swallowed by this large fish. And this large fish is actually God's provision for Jonah's life. Chapter 2, it picks up like right there. Jonah's in the belly of this great fish, right? And he cries out to God. And there's times in our life where like we get it, and we have to proclaim, I was the problem, I was wrong. We cry out to God, Lord, forgive me. And that's what Jonah is doing here. He fesses up, he pours out repentance to God, and what happens? God gives Jonah a second chance. Jonah's given forgiveness, And we see that instead of running from God, now Jonah has his transition to where he's now going to run to God here in his crying out. And we said, and wanted to remind you this morning, that no matter what place you're in, if you've run from God, if you've said, I don't want to have anything to do with you, God, you know, if you said like Jonah, look, I'm out of here, I'm going the opposite direction, all you got to do is come to God. Cry out to God in repentance. And just like Jonah, he gives us a second chance. He restores us. And that's what we find— and we're allowed to run to God and be embraced. And he makes his vow with God that he's going to hold on to obedience. That was the vow he made in chapter two. So then chapter three picked up, and last week, Pastor Anson walked you through this. And we found that, that Jonah began to run, when he ran to God, he started to run with God, he ran in obedience. And, and that's what he intended. God intended for him to do in the first place. In chapter 3, if you remember, it's like a mirror image of chapter 1. It's just opposite. Instead of running away from God, now Jonah is running with God, and he heads. The calling is the same. What he wants Jonah to do is the exact same in chapter 3 as it was in chapter 1, except for this time, we find that Jonah walks in full obedience to what God has asked him to do. And amazingly— after he preaches to the people of Nineveh, what happens? The entire civilization repents, cries out to God. And remember what happened? God lifted his hand of punishment. No destruction to the city. You see, uh, that's what really God wants out of us in the first place. He wants our heart. He he, he doesn't want to come and say, I would really like to just destroy you. He comes and says, look, I have to put punishment, I have to put difficulty in your path to get your attention so you understand that that when you surrender to me, I'm here to embrace you and love you and release my hand from you as you were feeling it. So that's what happens to Jonah and the Ninevites. So that's where we're going to pick up today's story. Jonah chapter 4, if you have your Bible, if you flip there, we're going to go through all the verses of Jonah chapter 4, but um, I want to be up front with you. This is an odd chapter. It's kind of a weird chapter in God's Word. And it's one of those few times where the story does not wrap up with, like, this happy, happy ending. You'll see what I mean in just a few minutes. If you've read this before, uh, like, you might say, um, I understand, like, I get what Jonah's doing in 1 through 3. I get the lesson that God is teaching, you know, run from me, you know, cry out to, you know, second chance, get it done in 3. I don't understand what's going on in chapter 4. This, this doesn't make any sense to me. You might even think like you have a hard time relating and understanding like how, like, how does this even fit? How would it even be relevant for my life, this chapter, chapter 4? Well, honest, um, honestly, I, I would say in this chapter, you might be surprised on how much it connects with us than uh, if you read it the first time and then walked away. So beginning in uh, Jonah chapter 4, verse 1, right at the very beginning, this is after God decides to spare Nineveh, right? He's not going to destroy this great city. This is what happens. Verse 1, chapter 4. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. This is kind of a head-scratcher to me. If you're if you're tracking with the lord here and you're tracking in the book right at the beginning i mean we want to say kind of like all right jonah what what in the world is your problem here what, what like what is your issue help me understand how you're even processing what you're processing um, you just got to see this miracle the conversion of the most violent culture on earth and true to god's character true to what we know of god god has compassion on them and he relents his destruction to give them all this opportunity to know him as their God. Why in the world are you angry now, Jonah? And this verse, uh, it gives us this glimpse into the struggle of the heart of Jonah, what's really going on inside. You see, uh, obedience was not an issue. He had just solidified that he was going to obey. Chapter 2, his vow to God is, I will obey you. That wasn't an issue. But getting on board with God's heart that was a problem. Jonah wasn't there yet. You ever have that struggle? Where like, you, you know, like, I grew up in the church. I, I got taught this way. I know God's word. Obedience is not my issue. I, I'm going to live a moral life. I'm going to live a holy life. I'm going to fall. But man, I'm just not with God's heart. I, I, I don't have that, that passion for people. I don't have that that. That heart that God has, has called me to or that, he, that I see in his word. Maybe you do the same thing that, that God's called you to. That's not a problem, doing what God's called, but the heart for it is. That's where Jonah's at. And let me tell you why. Next verse, two through three. Oh, Lord, is, is this not what I said to you when I was still at home? Jonah's saying, look, I, I told you so, God. I told you if I went there, you wouldn't destroy the city. It, that's why I was so quick to flee to Tarsus. I, I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who's relents from sending calamity. It, notice he says, look, I, I, that's why I actually ran to Tarsus. That was the real reason I went to Tarsus, because I, I, I knew you would let up anyway. That's not the reason he went to Tarsus. So uh, this is good, right? I mean, he is one that he's slow to anger, abounding in love. He he relents from sending calamity. Those are all good things, right? I mean, have you ever been in a situation where you're like, man, I just blew it. I blew it with my my spouse. I blew it with my boss. I'm um, at school. I blew it with my teacher. Or you know, blew it with my friend or whatever. And you're like, I really hope that person is slow to anger, <laughs> compassionate, and is slow to sending calamity my way. That's God when we turn our heart to Him. That all sounds like good stuff, right? But here's the end of that verse, verse 3. Now, O Lord, take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. You ever re- read that and you go like, um, kind of dramatic, Jonah. I mean, kind of a whiny little baby sounding dramatic here. Uh, you kind of like suck it up, you know, right? But here's the problem. You see, the first thing that we see here that Jonah didn't like he didn't like God's plan. He, he didn't like God's plan. He didn't understand it, and he didn't like God's love. And that's, that's a problem in this connection with Jonah. And so Jonah wanted he, this. He wanted to see people burn. He wanted to see them destroyed. He wanted to see what God said he would do to these people that he would actually do to them. Have you ever been like that? Like you're like, man, I want to see that person get what's coming to them. I'd like to be there when it happens. I'd like to kind of see this. Um, Nowadays, I'd like to have my phone out and I'd like to record this. This is going to be good. That's Jonah. That's his heart. That's what's going on here. He wanted them to pay for what they've done, maybe even pay for him having to come all the way over to Nineveh in the first place and to proclaim God's message. You see, this is Jonah's problem here. He simply made this about himself. It's amazing how the struggles we get in often center and focus back to us putting ourselves at the front, putting ourselves in the lead. He still made this about himself. It was about him. It's not about God. It's not about the people that God loved and that he was called to minister to. He's saying basically this. I don't think they deserve a second chance. Never mind that I just went through this situation where I was disobedient, thrown overboard, swallowed by a fish, spit out onto the land, um, and I was now allowed to live and follow the call that God had in my life. I was given a second chance. They don't deserve a second chance. It's all too easy at times to step into that type of role. Where we're like, thank you, Lord, for your grace and forgiveness on my life. Thank you for my salvation. Thank you for what you brought to my life. Lord, I used to be like this. And now you've made me like this. As the book of Peter says this, it were transformed by his marvelous light. And yet at times in our heart, we're like, I'd like to see that person rot. They don't deserve a second chance for what they've done or how they've acted or what they're doing or maybe even what they personally did to me. I deserve a second chance, but those folks, folks right there don't. That's what Jonah is proclaiming here by what he's saying. That's like crazy selfish thinking, right? I mean, if you saw this happening among your kids, you would recognize it immediately, right? You would say, well, you know, hey, that's what you do, and you're not wanting that done over here. You would immediately recognize it, but it's a struggle we often find ourselves in often. Forgive me of my wrongdoing, but Lord, call down fire on those others. And God's saying the whole time, look, I'm not a God who's above punishment. I'm not a God who's above saying to someone, look, this is a problem in your life, and I need to get your attention. But my core, I'm a God of love and passion, and I want to see everyone cry out and turn. God loves people, right? Jonah was having a hard time getting this. He was having a hard time understanding this problem here. And this is really why, because uh, the second thing we find here is Jonah didn't see from God's perspective— he just didn't see things from God's perspective. You ever had a, 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 a talk with, with your spouse, and you know, Shri and I, we're about to celebrate 20 years of marriage. And um, yeah, oh, see, Rainers, I can get a... I didn't get a standing ovation or anything, but... Um, yeah, I mean, we're about to go 20 years. And do you know that in 20 years, like we have never fought or disagreed in 20 years of marriage? Yeah, so... No, like, I mean, even us, you know, pastor, pastor's wife, we have many a times looked at a situation from two very opposing perspectives. You know what I'm talking about? When you look at things, and like, my knee jerk is immediate, like, I see this, and I have a whole line of reasoning and perspective because I see it a certain way, only to come to find out that Sheree might have, you know, um, what sometimes I deem the wrong perspective. Um, No, it's a different perspective, and she sees it a different way. And uh, we find that if there's an assuming in that, then yeah, we got a little bickering that goes on. If there's a, oh, well, share your perspective. What are you talking about? Yeah, you usually walk through that pretty good. Jonah's having a very difficult time seeing things from God's perspective, that he's kind of locked in his own perspective here. And he sees it that way. Here's what he says in verse 4 uh, But the Lord replied, Do you have any right to be angry? Nothing like a a good in-your-face question to make us kind of stop and think. Jonah did. Jonah went out and sat at the place east of the city. There he made a shelter for himself, sat in the shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. I mean, do you understand what's just going on here? Jonah is like prophet of God here. He's, the scripture actually tells us in other places he's like a go-to prophet of the time. So this go-to prophet of the time rebels against God when he's called to do something. He runs in the opposite direction towards Tarsus. You know, he, he's a willful disobedience. God's response, compassion, love to him, provides another way, provides a fish to save him from drowning, provides like this second chance on his life when he's thrown up onto the dry land, right? Jonah gives this forgiveness. And God turns to him and says, do you have any right to be angry in this situation? Do you have any right to be angry? You know what we call that in my family? We call that a risk the wrath type of question. Because it's a hard question to ask. When you're in the middle of kind of a disagreement to turn to your spouse or a close friend or somebody and say, hey, do you think you have a right to be angry with me at this point? That's a risk the wrath, because you don't know what's coming next when you ask that question. God's telling Jonah— you need to stop and think about. You need to think about how I've provided for you, what I've done. You need to think about the pattern of how I cared for you in your life and offered you forgiveness and a second chance before you start to get angry about what I'm doing for someone else. You know, it comes down to really simply this. When I was growing up, my parents would say the phrase that you've probably uttered many times. They would say, the world doesn't revolve around you. You ever said that phrase? You've received that phrase? Yeah, you know the phrase, right? Now, I'll be honest. Many times when I would say that, I would look at my parents, and my face would appear to be very obedient, going, okay, all right. But in my head, I was like, la da 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 whatever. You know, it's like, whoosh, whoosh, out, gone. But now I find myself using that, t- that line all the time. In some way, some form, you know, I don't even have to think about it. It just flows out. In fact, I'm creative with that line. I make up different ways to to say that line, and it just flows. Jonah had been obedient. That's not the problem, right? But he has a very difficult time conquering his own selfish worldview. He has a hard time seeing things that aren't from his own perspective here. I mean, take a moment to think about it. Where does this show up in your own life? Where do you have a very difficult time looking at the people around you, looking at your world, looking at your own wants and desires and seeing it all from God's perspective? Does it show up somewhere for you? You don't even need me to go through a long list of things that may fall on your list. You know right away when you're challenged by this and where it might be in your life. Do you find like me that you rarely critique your own driving? Anybody? That's a yes from Jeff Yates. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I never say, like, as I'm out driving, I never say, oh, Tom, oh, slow down. Speed up, get over. You know, what are you doing out there, Tom? Tom, if you're going to drive like that, just get off the road. You know, like, I never say that to myself. um, But whether I say it out loud, uh, it's rolled through my head many of times when I see and evaluate other drivers. It might be fun and cute in the driving world. may not be. But, man, when we apply that, when we apply that throughout our lives, when we apply that to our relationship with God and how our relationship with God functions, then we've got, we've got a difficulty. Because here's a problem. Like Jonah, when the focus stays on us, listen to this, even our obedience will not be enough to let us fully embrace God's love. Did you catch what I said there? When the focus stays on ourselves, even our obedience will not be enough to let us fully embrace God's love. I think that's an important thing for us as believers to know this morning as we're wrapping up Jonah. In fact, do you mind just, just saying, we don't do this a lot, but would you mind just saying that out loud with me? We'll put it on the screen. And I think it's in your notes to take home. Would you read that with me? When the focus stays on ourselves, even our disobedience, our obedience, excuse me. All right, I blew that one. Let's try that again. Man. Yeah. All right, we'll try it again. Um, we got this on tape, but I can just cut that part out. It flow seamlessly. All right, let's say it. When the focus stays on ourselves, even our obedience will not be enough to let us fully embrace God's love. You see, that's so hard for us. It's so difficult because, I mean, we're taught from the very beginning when we're young, we're taught with this perspective, like, you know, do what makes you happy or you got to look out for yourself. And now, like we say it in very subtle, creative ways, our friends will kind of look at us and confirm things. Well, you know, hey, you got to take care of yourself. Before you can take care of somebody else, you got to take care of yourself. And there's some truth to that, but we say it in creative, subtle ways that just accentuate this, this approach but it leaves something missing. Check out what happens next, that Jonah does next. He goes east of the city, sits under a shelter that he built, right? And he waits to see what's going to happen for the, the city. You catch what's happening here? Even though God has declared to him here that he's not going to destroy the city, Jonah's waiting to see if God like, really comes through with what he said. Like somehow he thought his little argument with God would have swayed God's thinking. Like God came back to him and said, oh man, Jonah, you're right, my bad, my bad. We, we're not going to, yeah, I'm not going to do that. I wasn't thinking straight. Um, I'm just going to go ahead and kill him. And then maybe I'll kill you next. Because if he followed the same logic, he would need to do Jonah in as well. That's, that's what Jonah's thinking there. Jonah just doesn't have God's eyes. He he can't get along with what God declares. Can't get along with God's perspective and God's heart. Here, listen to what uh, the the words in Matthew six thirty uh, excuse me nine thirty six say. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Listen, when we start to think like God, then we start to see people the way God sees people. They, like, our heart starts to break for people when we see them, and we see what they're going through. We see their confusion in life and the lost in life when they're struggling. That starts to break our heart when we see things the way God sees things. So we learn here that Jonah, he, he doesn't like God's plan. He's having trouble seeing things from God's perspective here. And this next thing we, we see in Scripture here is that Jonah didn't understand God's provision, even for Jonah himself, He just didn't quite get it. He got frustrated with the things that God provided for him. Take a look at this next section of scripture. It's kind of an odd one if you've ever read through it. Then the Lord God provided a vine and made it to grow up over Jonah to give him shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. Now we get the indication it was pretty hot, right? And uh, this shade was a huge blessing and Jonah was happy. He's like, thank you, God. You know, I, I needed that. But at the dawn the next day, God provided a worm, which chewed the vine so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die. And he said, it would be better for me to die than to live. And look at, look at God's question a second time here. But God said to Jonah, do you have any right to be angry about the vine? This time Jonah digs in, and he says, I do. I'm angry enough to die. He digs his heels in, and he says, look, how dare you destroy that vine? That vine was my shade. I liked that vine. The key here is found in this phrase, God provided. Do you know that in that simple passage, God provided three times? One of the things he provided was the vine, and Jonah liked the vine. He he enjoyed the vine. He loved it. Two of the other things Jonah didn't like so much, the worm and the east wind— We find ourselves sometimes, if we're not careful like Jonah, sometimes we just don't understand God's provision. We don't understand what God's trying to teach us and talk to us about. And we find ourselves saying things like, God, look, I like it when you provide things that I like, things that make me happy, things that make life easier for me, things that make me comfortable. I like that. I love that. And God is not opposed to that. He brings those provisions to our life often. We pray for jobs for people. And the blessing of when somebody calls me and say, hey, I got the job. And then the excitement for me, and I took Sundays off. I'm really happy. So God provides, right? We pray for that. Those are good things. But sometimes if we get so focused on that, like that's our main thing, being comfortable. When God provides the happy things, then we might miss out on where God is providing and challenging us in other areas. It's almost like it's easy to say, look, when I'm relaxing, I'm all in for that. Remember our theme of the year is all in? I see some of you with the shirts on this morning. All in. Like, I am all in, God, when you provide things that make my life comfortable and happy. I'm all in. Because why would I not be all in? That's a great time. Exciting time, right? But when God provides the uncomfortable— when, when God provides things that are challenging to you, when God provides things that make you put, or push you, make you grow in your Christian walk, when he challenges your point of view and your worldview, then it's like, wait a minute, I got a problem with you, God. I'm not happy with this provision. I'm not happy with this setup that you've brought to my life here. And you might be thinking you read this passage, you read what we just said, and you might be thinking, man, gosh, Jonah, you're kind of a punk here going to God like this. Right, and you might even say, "I'm never like that." Maybe you'd be kind and not say it out loud, but you know that's how we think. But let's be honest: we often question the way God cares for us. If we're praying for something and we don't get it in the time frame that was in our head when we started the prayer, we start to question the way God is caring for us. God provides; we've got food, we've got shelter with a church family. There's relationships. God provides our needs, but somehow our perspective often can't match up with God here. And Jonah's having a hard time understanding where God's provision is is for his enjoyment and where God's provision is for his growth and to change his perspective. So he didn't like God's plan. He didn't uh, uh, see God's perspective. He didn't understand the provision that was around him. And then this final thing, and and this, we, don't, we can't miss this this morning. Jonah didn't love God's people. That's what we find at the end of this passage. Listen to what it says here. But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and many cattle as well, should I not be concerned about this great city? And God is saying to Jonah, look, do you hear yourself here? Do you hear your complaining? Do you hear what's coming out of your mouth and what your focus is here? You care about this vine more than you care about 120,000 people who are hopeless and don't know me. Have this vine and your own comfort more than this city who are helpless. Helpless. And now they want to know me. Now they want to repent and turn their lives to me. Now they want to be in right relationship with me as their God. And yet, instead of finding joy in that, you're still focused on yourself, whether you have comfort or whether you don't have comfort. This is the part that I think hits us the most. Because if we're honest with ourselves, look, we've been here before. We've gotten stuck in this type of thinking often. We've cared more about ourselves, our situations, what we want, our demands than the people that are all around us that don't know Jesus as their Savior. The people that are all around us that are trying to navigate life and they're navigating life with the phrase, I think that. And then they're trying to figure it out from there. We're all the time and we're sitting here holding on to God's word and the Holy Spirit in our life who we claim and believe brings a fullness of life. And yet we get caught up at times just like this where we're focusing on ourselves, my comfort. What's going on in my house? It's kitchen remodel time. I don't got time for anything else. No, you remodel your kitchen, that's fine. No problem. I'll take your old stuff. No problem. But what we're saying as we get focused on ourselves and you put one thing for yourself, line it up with the next thing, line it up with the next thing. Line up. Before you know it, your life is dominated by what revolves around you in a very, very close proximity. That's what Jonah's missing here. He didn't love God's people. Man, I'm gonna be honest, that's hard to say. It's hard to ever declare, I don't really love God's people. It's hard for us to confess that we may not love God's people. I mean, we're Christians, right? That we love everybody, that's our thing, right? Man, that's, that's what we do. We love everybody, right? But if we're not careful, we're like Jonah, and guess what? it doesn't show up in what we do. And here's the application point this morning. Jonah leads us into, it's simply this, and, and this, I've put it in a way that affects us. God cares about this city. Do we? God cares about this city, do you? God cares about the people you work with. God cares about your family. God cares about Greensboro, High Point, wherever you live. When you walk down the street and you see people, God cares about them, every single one of you. He has never looked at you and said, you're plugged in at Wendover Hills, like you serve, you love me, you raise your hands when you're singing. I just care about you a little bit more than them. He's never said that. He cares about every single person you come in contact with. And if we're going to be like him, and if we're not going to follow the pattern of Jonah, then we're going to understand that me getting on board and caring for people that way is what God has called me to do. Did you know that Greensboro is the number two mid-sized city per capita of people attending church in the whole nation? That means our size city per capita here, like we're number two in the number of people that attend church. Everybody's got a church here, right? If you ask somebody their church, they say, oh yeah, yeah, I've got a church. They may not remember the name of the church, but they've got a church. We identify that way in Greensboro. But even though that may be the case, um, you know, God— God knows and you need to know that that means there's really only 40 to 45 percent of people in the triad area that are going to church. That's a pretty, pretty good number actually. 40 to 45 percent. What does that mean? That though church attendance, of course, it's not the all in all, it gives us an understanding of the value of God that we place on God in our life. What does this tell us? There is just many, many people in the triad, People we interact with that don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior. That means that they don't know Jesus, so so heaven is not not on their agenda. But the life that God offers here on this earth, the way they could walk through every single day with the Holy Spirit directing their life, keeping them out of struggle and hardship that they'd face otherwise, keeping from, from that simple thought of just saying, I think that, and then figuring it out, God's wisdom is, and living that way, that would mean 60 plus percent of the people you contact with every day. They need that in their life. They need that hope and joy in their life. And God's looking at Jonah, and you know what he's saying is, Jonah, how can you miss that? How can you be focused on a vine? How can you be focused on that? How can you be focused with, with like your full investment of your focus on you know, what, what your car may or may not have? That's what he's saying, what what, what your cable package looks like, and if you're getting reception today or not. He's saying to him, I've got got these people out there that need to know me, and now they're going to know me, and you're sulking because you want me to wipe them out still. If we're not careful, we can sneak into this thinking in subtle ways, and it's no more damaging than it was not with Jonah. It's just the same. When I see Windover Hills, I want to tell you that I see this as a place that, that would care for people, that would care for the people that we're talking about. I, I see this place as one that, like, we'll charge out of here on Sunday, and we'll be energized, and we enjoy each other, but we realize that uh, this is good, and this is fun, but we realize God has a mission for me out there that I got to get through. I got to get to it Monday through Saturday, And then I'm going to come, I'm going to get energized and charged up, and I'm going to get at the mission. I see this church as that type of thing. In fact, I can't imagine in the last four years we would have even grown from 40 to 170. I I, I couldn't have seen that if we didn't have that kind of mindset. Because I think think this is a church that sees people the way God sees people. But I want to push on us a little further in that. Because even people who are God's prophet, Jonah... Can sneak into this form of thinking that we just read about here in chapter four, and so I'm going to remind you for a second. Take a picture in your head of the city, wherever you live, wherever you're at. Take a picture of it. Some of you are Greensboro, High Point, Winston. Think about the nice areas and the good areas, the things that are really appealing to your eye. Think about the areas that are not appealing to your eye when you go through. Maybe even roll up the windows. Um, think about all those places. Think about the people you've seen walking around or driving around in those places. God loves every single one of them. He's passionate, irrationally passionate about wanting every single one of them to know him as their savior, to have right relationship, to provide in their life. And this, this crazy strategy that he's come up with is no different than Jonah. Jonah, go speak to them about me. And he looks at you, and he looks at me, and he says, Hey, Wendover Hills, go speak to them about me. It's the same calling. And so we can choose at the end of this if we're going to say, No way, God, I'm headed to Tarshish. I'm getting on the boat, and I'm headed opposite direction, car, whatever. If we're going to heed that, we're going to understand that. Like, like these Ninevites, really, it just it takes us to share the message of hope, in jesus christ because who knows the day that our obedience following god opens up the door for for one let alone the hundred and twenty thousand in the story if it was one that came to know jesus christ as their savior because we went out and shared the word went over hills that that's got to be the motivating factor for us every morning when we wake up and we go do our job and we have our, our relationships is that opportunity, however the Lord opens up the, the door, even if it's just a crack, just the opportunity to speak the hope and joy of Jesus Christ into their life. Well, I pray this series has been a blessing to you. If you missed some of them, please, by all means, catch up. We we talked a lot more contextually about some of this stuff in the earlier messages. You can see that on org. But I want to pray for you right now because I sense that uh, uh, on any Sunday morning that the Lord wants, there's somebody who's ready to say, I'm stepping up to the challenge of God's word this week. So let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for the simple book of Jonah. Lord, and I'll confess, when I was younger, I wanted to read a whole book of the Bible, so it was easy to pop on one like this. A narrative, four chapters, pretty short chapters. And Father, it's been later in my life where I've understand the significance and the power of the story. That Father, I will confess there's been times in my life the calling is clear, but my direction was opposite. I don't, I don't want to do that, Lord. It's tough. You'd have, to, you'd have to, like, change me, or you'd have, to make, you'd have to make me stronger, or you'd have to whatever excuse I use, Lord, but I was looking for the opposite direction. And, Father, like Jonah, it, it's just clear in our life, if there's anyone here who's running from God right now, if that's you, that God is simply saying to you, Lord, it's calamity, it's struggle that will come your way if you're running from me. If it doesn't happen today, it's, it's coming down the line. And yet you are this God who, the moment we cry out to you, Lord, I'm sorry. Forgive me. Lord, direct me. Lead my life. I'm on board. You will in an instant embrace us, love us. And then you'll say to us, hey, the calling hasn't changed. Now get out there and do it. We thank you that the story of Jonah is he did get out there and do it. And there was incredible fruit that came with it. And Father, I just want to pray the joy of a friend saying yes to you as their Savior for every single person right here at Windover Hills. Lord, a family member, a coworker, somebody saying yes, I am ready to become a Christian because of the testimony. I pray that on every single person here who calls themselves a believer here at Wendover Hills. What joy they would experience. But Father, we recognize this morning that there's even a deeper level. It's getting on board with God's God's heart. Lord, it's not just working in the mechanics of the faith, but it is working with the beating heart of you, Lord. And Father, I just pray this morning if there be anyone in here that said, boy, I play church pretty well. I even do a lot of the, the good things during the week. I even have told people about you, Lord. But there is a level of surrendering my heart and getting on board with the heart of who you are, God that I've kind of closed myself off to, and I've kept hard. And if I were honest this morning, Lord, I don't even know, I don't even know why you function the way you function. This is a morning you can get on board with God's heart. Father, uh, lead us now. The, our Monday through Saturday starts tomorrow. We pray this all in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Well, Lord bless you. I, I would encourage you, if you haven't already, listen to those, or just go read the, the, the chapter yourself. Just go in your devotion time, read Jonah 1 through 4, and let God minister with his words straight to you. Could be a, a really powerful impact uh, in your devotional life this week. Hey, I need to say one thing uh, before we go into our time of offerings, really two things, is this coming week is the... Uh, the exciting time of the proctoring of EOG exams for all of our schools. The thing that our teachers are fearful of the most, um, and the parents of the schools are fearful of the most, because they know they're getting a phone call or a letter in the mail that says, would you please come proctor? We don't have enough proctors. Proctoring basically meaning you sit in the room and you watch kids take a test without speaking for uh, whatever period of time the test take it's just a requirement of the state if you're not familiar with this this school always needs additional help and that happens this week if you were one that you're home during the week and you have the ability to come over, if you have the ability to rework their, your schedule, and just to come over and say, hey, I'll take a morning, we'll be a blessing to the school in this way, um, that that would be, it'd just be an awesome help to the school this week. There's, at the, the next step table, there's just a sign up there, you can just throw your name on it. I would give your name to the assistant principal, and he'll line up what morning, or he'll contact with you with what works. But if we could draw out four or five people that would be willing, that'd be a huge blessing to this school that, that, that's really been a, a blessing to us being here as well. So if you would do that, that would be, uh, that would be great. Um, the, finally, I've got good news and bad news. Um, the good news first, because I want to butter you up first. Um, you don't have to take down chairs this morning. So we don't have to put away any chairs this morning. Logan's very excited. So um, here the bad news is all the chairs you see out, we need to put up all those chairs uh, for the awards ceremony and graduation for here at the school. Um, they called NAS and I said, you know, no problem. We'll take care of it. So, um, so we're, we're going to do that in just a minute. We're going to take the four middle seats all the way down here and remove them for their center aisle. And then one big rectangle section here, one big rectangle section here until the chairs run out. So if you have a few minutes to hang on and and help, that'd be great. Um, uh, You'll still be in time to to share with the Rainers at the Rio Grande. So so that would be great.